My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Oh, yeah, we're in a slowdown. There have to be reasons for stocks to keep going up besides the tailwind of an economic uplift because there are no tailwinds. Sure, the economy is reopening all over the country. We had a great jobs number last Friday, but we still have 13 percent unemployment in this country. And as much as we want to reopen to produce a ton of jobs, I doubt we'll see much of that in the sectors that have suddenly turned red hot. That's why the Dow dipped 300 points today and the S&P shed 0.78%, while the tech-heavy Nasdaq actually advanced 0.29%. Stocks can only go up so much based on the fact that the world isn't ending. Let's take the two most exciting areas in this market until today, airlines and cruise lines. Until today, those things were juggernauts relentlessly marching toward their old pre-COVID highs. Every morning, their stocks would get bid up to absurd levels as buyers, especially neophyte, internet-goaded wagerers bet on one thing and one thing only, that someone else would come in and buy from them even higher. That game worked for a while, but today it stopped, and both groups got eviscerated. Why? Because when you invest based on the greater fool theory, by the way, that's the name of the theory, sooner or later, you run out of fools. Don't get me wrong. There are times when the greater fool theory does indeed work and even work for a while. I'm not some scold who'll give you a hard time for making money the wrong way. And the gains in these groups are still very real. But if you're going to play this game for the long haul, I want you to be better at it. For example, we've seen endless buying in uh, let's pick one, American Airlines. OK, that's it took the stock from 10 to 20 bucks. It was in the high 20s uh, or <laughs> around there before the pandemic even broke out. Uh, now, the, th- the thing is, uh, uh, American had $34 billion in debt, $10 billion more than Delta or United, and then had to take down another $4.75 billion as part of the bailout. It's burning about $70 million a day, though they're trying to get that down to, be, uh, say, $50 million by the end of this month. I can understand how gamblers might be attracted to this stock. Among the major airlines, it had the lowest price in terms of the absolute dollar amount. And that's something that's always attractive to speculators. They like stocks that are 10, not stocks that are 3,000. Plus, the company put out a press release the other day titled, American Airlines Increases Domestic Flying for Summer Travel Season, Begins Reopening Admirals Clubs, and Increases Flexibility, end quote. But you got to remember, they're growing off a very small base. In May, American carried 110,000 people a day domestically, up from just 32,000 a day in April, 15% load factor then. A year before, though, they carried about 500,000 in an average month. The domestic business is still awful, and internationally, the numbers keep falling. Not long ago, Boeing CEO went on the Today Show and warned that a major carrier would fail. Well, you shrug your shoulder, it looked like this, but many people must assume that. The CEO of Boeing is talking about American. This was in the worst shape. And while the airlines are quick to tell you that they have better air circulation than most buildings, the simple fact is that most people regard planes as COVID incubators. And the circulation doesn't matter if you're sitting next to someone who is sick. 
I go into all this because American is the classic kind of stock that you buy if you believe we're in a terrific V-shaped recovery. A filled plane makes a heck of a lot more money than a plane that's only 55% full. When all your planes are full, man, you are making a fortune. But when you're in a recession, even if you're coming out of a recession, well, you don't see tons of full planes. You're not supposed to buy the plane stocks right here. And that's before we even account for the impact of the virus, which will have a chilling effect on air travel uh, until we get the vaccine. So what do you buy if you're feeling better about the economy, which is absolutely bottoming, but still not producing enough meaningful wind to truly bolster the kind of cyclical companies that had suddenly become very popular on Wall Street, again, particularly among neophytes? It's easy. You buy the stocks of secular growth stories, the companies with powerful internal engines that will let them sail without a tailwind. You want the stock equivalent of a steamship, not a sailboat that is at the mercy of the economic weather. Good analogy for you. Which one stood out today? All right. Let's start out with Facebook. You know, I've been a big backer of Facebook ever since the company stopped being embroiled in politics and started recognizing that its real constituents are the millions of small and medium-sized businesses that use its platform and started supporting them. Right now, the company's launching Facebook shops. It's turned out to be a gigantic hit, according to Heather Bellini, the crackerjack software analyst at Goldman Sachs, who published a fantastic piece of research this morning explaining how much Facebook will make from its small and medium-sized business initiatives. The stock's been flying ever since they announced this thing, and they did it on our show. But the analysts have only just started to recognize how huge it will be. At a time when people are understandably reluctant to shop in person, making it easier to sell things via Facebook and Instagram was a brilliant move. Then there's Apple. This stock's been running, hitting a new all-time high today, not because the economy is open, or because of surging Chinese sales or because of this retail sales uh, in their stores. No, it's because Apple Pay has taken off thanks to the pandemic. People are afraid of getting COVID from cash or credit cards or keypads. They want contactless payments. At the same time, Apple's service revenue stream is growing by leaps and bounds. It shows no signs of stopping even as the pandemic gets tamped down. Then there's AMD. That was today's biggest gainer in the S&P 500. Why? Because their chief competitor, NVIDIA, selected AMD's chips for the next generation artificial intelligence system. It is huge. So it's NVIDIA's system, which is why that stock for too. Artificial intelligence, no need for a tailwind. On top of that, by the way, there's a chance that AMD might be taking uh, some Apple business away from Intel. Again, that's a market share win, not an economic win. Finally, there's Amazon. Two firms raised their price targets for the online Colossus to $3,000 today, with notes that showered Amazon with praise about how deep it's got its hooks into the consumer. Wells Fargo says, and I quote, We believe that Amazon's continued build-out of last-mile fulfillment capacity and a gradual return to more hectic work and school schedules among consumers will likely shift momentum back toward rapid delivery. Amazon One Day Prime and Prime Now from competitors' store-based fulfillment options, end quote. In other words, Amazon spent a fortune to maintain its lead in delivery during this period, and now they're poised to clobber their omnichannel competitors. Bank of America says something pretty similar, that the money Amazon spent on fulfillment this year typically does precede accelerating unit growth. So they're looking for increased revenues and earnings. Again, that's not an economic tailwind. It's an internal tailwind of Amazon's own making. We know there's a day trade frenzy to buy the worst, to deify the most loathsome oil companies and the tanker stocks, to worship at the order of the bankrupt rental car company or the cruise lines that still can't cruise. These companies don't just need tailwinds. They need Category 4 hurricanes to keep moving. But the secular growth stories, here's the bottom line. Apple, Facebook, Amazon, AMD, NVIDIA, 
They don't need no stinking tailwinds. They create their own and ride them to much greener pastures. That's why I keep going back to them. And you should, too. Patrick in Washington, D.C. Patrick. Jim, thanks for having me on. First time caller here. Excellent. Hey, Dan from D.C., I'll just want to say, I also just want to say thanks uh, for your efforts to bring on a wide range of even-keeled legislators uh, like Speaker Pelosi and others. Thank um, you. You facilitate a much more informative conversation than could ever be had by tweet, uh, and I think we all appreciate it. Uh, you're very um, kind. It is a straight, it is you. tough to try to come up with a balance. I'm glad you're thinking I'm doing it. I know. I strive to do it every day. How can I help? Uh, well, I actually wanted to get your take on Moderna, uh, MRNA. Um, I know you know a lot about it. Uh, Moderna is one of many, many players in the COVID-19 vaccine and treatment race right now. Right. Uh, the playing field is packed. We've seen a lot of short-term high flyers come and go. Right. Uh, but for several weeks, Moderna has been considered to be a front runner in that field. Um, recently, they hired a new CFO, I guess, in an apparent angle towards a more commercial stance. Um, but since then, that was like 10 days, 14 days ago. Um, since then, mRNA has plummeted a bit uh, from around right, 50 right. to yeah to about like sub 57. Well, as see, of this Patrick, morning. you know, they put out yeah. those results of that, uh, and they were too promotional. They said that they had an eight for eight, something good news. That's not enough of a sample, and it was something that Dr. Fauci didn't like. And they also sold uh, some of their people sold a huge amount of stock, and they sold stock. These are all things that are very suboptimal in my eyes. And while I do wish Moderna the best of luck, uh, the, those characteristics are not what I like and were very ill-advised. Let's go to Fred in Virginia. Fred. Hello, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. I'm sorry, Paul. This is from Virginia. I recently purchased shares in the new IPO, Zoom for Technology. What do you think about the future of this company's stock? And should I buy more at today's closing price of $50? Uh, I think it's a real good company. Um, I, I think that Henry's doing a great job. And I'd say most important, all the IPOs that come at the beginning of a cycle like we're having right now, they are going to give money away to get you back into the casino. And Zoom Info was underpriced. And that's a very positive sign that means it's still underpriced. Let's go to David in Illinois, please. David. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Yeah, I wanted to find out what your opinion is on VSTO, Vista Outdoors, as a play for social distancing. They make everything you need to take with you in those RVs you talked about yesterday. Yes, the they do. Yes, they uh, do. But that's why I'm still going to go to Camping World, because I think that Marcus Lamonis has got the best. Uh, let's say he's got, he's got the best handle on that particular situation. Go with Lamonis. Stock's already. Uh, he just bought some more stock. He just bought, bought more stock on Friday. I say Marcus, I say Camping World. All right, secular growth stories like these stocks don't need any tailwinds. That's what I like here. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, I'm eyeing Stitch Fix after earnings to see if the company can tie up its loose ends. Don't miss my exclusive with the CEO. Then Chewy just reported after the close. I'll find out if you're barking up the right tree with an investment in the stock that you know I've liked for a long time. And as COVID-19 prompts a digital shift for businesses, can another one of my favorites, DocuSign, take advantage of the move? I've got the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? 
Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. As the economy reopens, what do we do with the digital retailers that were such fabulous performers in April and May? Take Stitch Fix, the online advisory service that's like having your own digital personal stylist who sends you new clothes and accessories on a regular basis. There, there's, it's a conundrum here, frankly, though. On the one hand, the last few months have been fabulous for e-commerce because people were stuck inside. On the other hand, the last few months have been terrible for apparel for exactly the same reason. You don't need new clothes when you can't go anywhere. Unfortunately, when Stitch Fix reported last night, it was the latter trend that I thought felt to dominate the quarter. The company delivered a suboptimal top and bottom line miss. However, they're doing much, much better than, say, the department stores. And management noted that business started improving in April, and they're seeing a very, very positive set of numbers in May. But again, you know, we got to talk about this because the stock did ran up in the quarter. It got hit today, falling more than 5%. We got to figure out what to do. Is Stitch Fix too risky, or could this be the rare digital play on the country coming out of lockdown that people haven't discovered yet? So let's take a closer look with Katrina Lake. She's the founder and CEO of Stitch Fix to learn more about the quarter and where her company's headed. Ms. Lake, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you for having me. All right, so Katrina, let's cut right to it. Uh, we grew active clients to 3.4 million, an increase of 9% year over year, and grew net revenue per active client by 6%. This happened despite the fact that there was a considerable part of your quarter that was basically, uh, let's say, offline. What do you think the numbers could have been had you been able to have a consistent number, consistent uh, operations? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell. To your point, um, you know, our our primary challenge was. Um, having our warehouses open in a way that was safe and bringing people back to work. And so there was a point where our warehouse capacity was down 70% from where it normally was. And so this quarter, I'm really proud of the team coming together. I'm really proud of the hard work that the team has done to be able to deliver this quarter. And more importantly, I think momentum as we look into the coming months. Um, in this quarter, when we had warehouses that were offline or, or that were under capacity, what that meant was that we were spending a us on marketing. We were even turning off parts of our product that are generally positive in terms of delivering fixes. And so we really had to go into a mode where we wanted to focus on um, our existing clients and making sure that our clients who are expecting fixes would get them. Um, But it was a really challenging quarter. And I'm really proud of the team um, to be able to get together to kind of, you know, deliver this quarter that was, yes, down revenue 9%. But this was during a time, to your point, where in a in April, in apparel, all of retail, all of apparel retail was down about 80%. And so this was an incredibly challenging time, but I think a time that we really invested and took share. All right, so Katrina, it's the, on the one hand, uh, if you have no place to go, you don't really care how you look. On the other hand, uh, the one place you don't want to go during a pandemic is a store where other people may have COVID. We are now opening of uh, the rest of the country. Uh, but there still is a worry, I believe, of COVID. At the same time, you want to be able to go out. So does it now weigh in favor of Stitch Fix? Because you do want to go out and be seen. But there is still lingering worry about COVID in the dressing room. That's exactly what we think. I mean, I, you know, right now that our value proposition, one, which is have a stylist help you try clothes on in the comfort of your own home. I mean, that has been a value proposition that has never been more resonant. Why do you um, seem to rebel against the idea that a subscription 
is not what you want. Uh, you're an advisory service. You don't have to subscribe. At the same time, subscribing is so sticky uh, that I feel like, well, you know what? If I gave you something every month, maybe uh, you would do better. No, it's true. I think, I mean, the we call it auto ship. We call it clients who um, who engage with us on a recurring basis. And those clients, you know, it's not subscriptive in a traditional nature because these these are not people who are paying $50 on the dot to us every month. But we do have clients who are committing to getting fixes every two months or every month or every quarter. And to your point, those people are sticky. They've provide our business with a lot of predictability. And they've certainly been a big part of the foundation of resilience that our business has seen in the past quarter and for the quarters to come. And so we absolutely believe in the fixes business. We absolutely believe that's an important foundation. The other strength that we've seen in our business in the last quarter is direct buy. And direct buy is kind of this lighter weight way that you can engage. You can see your personalized recommendations and buy directly from those and not have the shipment sent to your home site unseen. And so what that allows us to do is to that is to be able to reach clients who might be on the fence. It allows people who might want to have a little bit more agency and choice. Um, and it really gives us lighter weight way to kind of get engaged with Stitch Fix that we think really opens up our market opportunity and also um, helps us to be able to get deeper into the share of wallet of our clients. OK, now, Katrina, from the moment I met you, the one thing I you explained to me very quickly was, listen, this is a company that likes to make money. You're not one of those companies that's about the business of growing without profit. I know this quarter must have hurt you because you could not make money, net loss of $33.9 million for some of the reasons you described. But you did lay off about 1,400 employees in California, immediately pointing out that you'll do 2,000 hires in lower-cost states. But this is brutal. I mean, it had to be brutal for you. And I'm trying to figure out why it was so necessary, given the fact that things could turn up big this year. Yeah, I mean, it's... it was an incredibly difficult decision. Um, you know, I'm so proud of the many jobs that we've created and, and the many jobs that we've created here in California where I'm from, where headquarters is. And so, um, I mean, this was a heart-wrenching decision. But the reality is that the cost differential between California and the many other places that we employ people is so vast. Um, and so this was a decision that we have known that we were going to have to make for a while. Um, and to your point, yes, we made the decision to lay off a thousand, uh, over a thousand jobs here in California, but we're rehiring those in other geographies, those and then some. Um, and as much as it was an incredibly difficult decision to make as a leader, it was one that really is critical to us to be able to invest in this critical time of market dislocation. This is the time that we really believe being able to play offense, being able to chase the billions upon billions of dollars of market opportunity that are coming up as more people are open to and looking for ways to shop for apparel online. Um, it's it, This is really about how we can create more jobs and more opportunities in the long term. Uh, how about someone who says, wait a second, California is fashion forward. California has more ideas. I don't want my stylist from Pittsburgh. What's that all about? Why do I want a stylist from Cleveland? We're very talented stylists and very talented um, perspectives on style all across the country. And we actually were a very data driven shop. We know that we've been able to A-B test. We know that our stylists are effective all across the country. And we know that there's a very diverse range of stylists that are really effective. And so, um, you know, the national presence that we have is um, is the right footprint that we have in order to serve our business. Very good. And by the way, just so we know, that was a devil's advocate question. I have a lot of friends in Pittsburgh and Cleveland who are a lot more stylish than many people I know. Katrina, one last question. I uh, can't help but notice that you're hiring people in Minneapolis. I can't think of a more important place to hire people. What is your message to our country about that move? And how about uh, to the people you're hiring there? 
Thanks. And thanks so much for asking. And um, I mean, I'm just I'm deeply concerned and troubled by what's going on in our country right now. Um, it's, it's so clear that we still have a lot of work ahead of us um, as a country to be the equal and just society that we purport to be. And, um, you know, we hope that we can make even a small difference in the communities that we serve. Um, but, you know, in the big picture, I think I'm deeply concerned. I think we should all be deeply concerned and really looking in the mirror and saying, like, is this working? Is America working? And, um, and, and do what we can to act. As a business leader and a woman, uh, what reaction do you get when you talk about what you just said? Because I'm sure there's some people who say this is capitalism. Everybody has a, an opportunity to make a lot of money. And what's so what's the story? I, you know, I, it's hard for me to say that I, it's hard for me to bring into question capitalism. But it's it's honestly when you peel back the onion of like, yes, this is about police brutality. Yes, this is about systematic unfairness. But when you peel back the onion, the engine at the center of the thing that is creating the incentives is capitalism. And, you know, it's hard for me to say as somebody who's been a beneficiary of capitalism and an entrepreneur, you know, I've been um, so lucky to have the opportunities that I have. But I also need to be honest that those opportunities are not equally available to all. And I, you know, I really worry that we have to look at this engine that is fueling all of this and really saying, is this working for us? And what can we do to change it so that it can work to actually create the equal and just future that we all believe in? Well, thank you, Trina. If, if we're not thinking about it, we're not worried about it, then I question our own belief systems. Thank you so much, Katrina Lake, founder and CEO of Stitch Fix. Great to see you. Thank you. May have money's back after the break. from the stay-at-home economy keep winning now that America's open for business? Consider the case of Chewy, the online pet supply retailer that we've supported since it came public. When we realized what we were in for in mid-March, Chewy's stock caught fire, surging from 20 bucks at the, pot, at the bottom to $51 as of today's close. At a time when you couldn't go out to buy pet food, Chewy became essential. And I bet they keep those customers because they have a terrific auto ship offering. Now, Chewy reported tonight delivering a terrific beat with higher than expected sales up 46% year over year. Smaller than anticipated uh, earnings loss, actually EBITDA positive and robust guidance. It's even stronger than what the bulls were looking for, though the stock is up 77% for the year. So can this thing keep climbing? Let's dig deeper with Summit Singh. He's the CEO of Chewy. Find out more about the quarter and where his business is headed. Mr. Singh, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. How are you? Nice to be here. Well, I'm good, somebody, because I'm looking at these numbers and I'm seeing a surprise. Uh, you're actually making money, which is something we don't expect from companies growing as rapidly as you are. And you gave us guidance, which is something that people have been reluctant to do this quarter. How are you capable of doing those things? You know, Jim, uh, it's nice to be here, first of all. Good to be talking to you. We, you know, I think what we've shown is we're proving out that what we've believed is that our company and the service that we provide is resilient to economic trends. And the fact that, you know, pet is an essential business and we're proud to be in this category, the fact that nearly 70% of our sales are driven by our autoship program, the fact that we're data driven, we understand our customers and the cohorts and the way that they'll behave allows us to sort of say, you know what? I think we're reading the trends pretty accurately here. We believe there's an acceleration in online, and we believe we're here to stay in place. So that's how we're giving the guidance. You know, I just want to point out immediately, because I am a customer, uh, you have 100 artists on your staff. 
And I think for those who've never used Chewy, they might be saying, why does he have artists on the staff? You know, uh, the number, by the way, is is over uh, 1,000, Jim, across the country. Wow. Uh, you know, we partner, yeah, we partner with over 1,000 artists across the country. And, and, and some of them are freelancers and some of them are, are with our own staff. And we do that because we create pet portraits. And what we're doing there is, you know, we, we believe in vowing customers and we believe in, in bringing them surprise and delight. And one of the ways that we do that is by hand, portra- hand painting pets' pictures on canvas and sending it to you. And let me tell you this. When a pet portrait arrives at your doorstep unannounced, you can't buy these. You can't course us. And, you know, it's just our way of thanking you. And when they do, we, the joy that we find in our customers, on our customers' faces, the dinner table conversations, the engagements, I mean, that's, that's really the return for it. So we love doing it. Well, I, I think that's because a lot of people said to me, Jim, you know, you use this Chewy, but Amazon can always undercut everybody. And I said, one, if you take a look at their actual pharmacy that they have, they're not being undercut. But two, uh, they actually know more about my pets than the corner company that I used to use. Yeah, so that's a very good point. So a couple of things going on there. So one, you know, we believe that this category, Jim, where is an emotive category, pet parents, you know, I mean, customers refer to themselves as pet parents. I've said that before numerous times. But with us, when we engage, we build trust. We build trust early on. And then we deploy mechanisms like the one that I just talked about, pet portraits, flowers, sometimes when pets pass away. Uh, uh, return policies where we ask customers to donate stuff to shelters and we pick up the tab for that. I mean, these are mechanisms with which we build trust and trust engenders long-term loyalty towards our brand. The, the other thing is, you know, we've continued to dimensionalize our business. So you mentioned pharmacy. That's another complementarity that we've added to our previous portfolio of food and supplies. And customers love, uh, you know, when they get uh, a variety of choices at the same platform. The prices that you charge for uh, for, pharma- for pharmaceuticals are well below what we get elsewhere. Uh, is it just something that you have the true price of and are not trying to mark up? Because it is stark to see how much, because remember, it's cash pet. It's a stark difference between how much you charge and how much we pay from the vet. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're actually working with our suppliers and manufacturers to price what we believe is called minimum advertised pricing guidelines. So we're actually pricing at MAP, and we believe that everybody should, be, should have access to affordable prices. And in that way, it actually drives and encourages more and more U.S. pet households. Let me tell you this, Jim. More than, you know, over a third of U.S. households today, they don't go to their vets or don't go to the vet at a required frequency or time. Why? Because they're afraid of the expenses. And this is one way that I think we can actually bring healthcare to the forefront and make it more affordable for pet parents to then go into vets for visits. And, and, and the whole kind of cycle completes and the loop closes for us. Well, so let's, let's talk about the current environment. Uh, my daughter went to get a foster cat. Why? Because of the pandemic. Uh, people feel alone. Uh, they feel sad. Uh, pets change that. Those of us who love pets know what they can do in a time of great stress. Are you hearing from pet owners similarly? And are you seeing adoptions and shelters empty out as I am, as people are just desperate for companionship inside? We're absolutely seeing it. We're hearing it. Uh, you know, customers are engaging with our brand and we hear that, 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 that necessity for companionship now more than ever. And that's essentially, you know, people now have more time. They're, they're at home. 
they have the willingness to to adopt or to foster and to and to and to bring these pets home and you're seeing that effect essentially on the fosters and 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 shelters i mean our data and the data isn't very clear on this but whatever we're tracking shows us that year over year between march and april 60% more pets were adopted or fostered than the previous year that's wow. a huge lift that is huge well, before we leave, I always have to ask this. I know uh, PetSmart controls the direction of our business. PetSmart is a big position. I'm just reading from the filings. Uh, it, the stock is up so much. Is it natural to presume or realistic that maybe PetSmart wants to sell some stock? Uh, you know, BC Partners that, that owns uh, the, the two portfolio companies and PetSmart, you know, they've been responsible. The two companies have been responsible, uh, you know, governors of, uh, of, 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 of sort of, uh, you know, liquidating their position. And they've done it in a structured and measured manner. And uh, we expect nothing, nothing different moving forward. Well, you know, it's hard to believe that there was a category that had not been so-called Amazon, that hadn't been one. I just got to congratulate you. And again, as a customer, it's quite exciting to see all the other Chewy boxes on the block. You see Amazon boxes and you see Chewy boxes. And you deserve it for the way that you treat our pets. Thank you so much to Summit Singh, CEO of Chewy, with a blowaway number and a profit. Great to see you, sir. Thank you. you. Guys, we've liked it from the day it came public. What can I say? It's still great. They have money's back after the break. Even as America goes back to work, you have to remember that the pandemic has fundamentally changed the way we do business. Some of those changes, they're not going out. They're not going away. We've heard from tech CEO after tech CEO that we packed about five years with the digitization. Some say 10, some say two, but into the last three months. A lot of these tools enable people to work from home and are simply better. We're not going to go back. Which brings me to DocuSign, one of the hottest cloud-based software plays from the last few months. DocuSign makes it possible to sign important documents via the web. And they've now got a whole suite of agreement management tools that make it easier to seal the deal on contracts. I've used it. It's amazingly convenient. So I wasn't surprised when the company reported a blowout quarter last Thursday with tremendous guidance for both the next quarter and the full year. Of course, the stock didn't get much lift because DocuSign had already rallied get this more than 125% from its March lows. And, you know, we've been telling you to buy it, but it's still an excellent number. Now, the stock's pulling back, including a 3% decline today, in part because traders are rotating to the formerly beaten down recovery plays, but also rotating some tried and true fang names. I think this one's got a terrific story, even though the lockdown's over. So let's check in with Dan Springer, the CEO of DocuSign, get a better read on the quarter and his company's prospects. Fisher Springer, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me. All right, Dan, uh, I go to your website. And right at the top, does it say DocuSign, the cheapest, the best? No, it says Black Lives Matter, a message in solidarity. Why do you put that right at the top of your site? Well, I'll tell you, it's uh, crazy times we're living in. On top of this uh, pandemic uh, that has you know, frozen so much of the economy, we now have a, a realization uh, that we have a really poorly treated, you know, a significant uh, part from, from a standpoint of our company, our employees, but also as a country, uh, I think our citizens. And we've decided that it was appropriate uh, at DocuSign uh, to sort of speak out in solidarity. We've got a lot to do inside, so we're not sort of pointing fingers. Uh, but we just wanted to be on record as saying we're, we're standing with our black employees and the black citizens. I thought it was interesting also because, you know, real estate was, uh, when I was growing up, was a topic that meant let's keep this area white. Uh, uh, let's redline. 
Let's do everything yeah. we can. And real estate was one of those things that was done in person. And I always got the feeling that, well, maybe you weren't the right person to move into a neighborhood. The one thing I like about DocuSign is it, it, it is not biased. They, they, all you know is yeah. what the person says. So you actually have done something in your own right, maybe even if it's not necessarily uh, what you set out to, to make it people a little more equal. Yeah, hopefully there's some democratization from the Internet, to your point. Uh, but I think there's uh, plenty of things we're focused on doing internal to the company, uh, as well as, you know, trying to make contributions, you know, to the broader uh, world, as you said. Uh, some of that can be trying to make the world more agreeable, as, you know, we say as our product line. Uh, but uh, we feel there's no shortage of opportunities, Jim, to try to make a positive uh, change here because there's a lot uh, a lot to fix. Well, there sure is. You know, there's a lot of the, of of, uh, of what I would call friction, to use a polite word, in the process of yeah. buying and selling something. I bought a house using DocuSign. Uh, I mentioned it on air. I did it two months ago. There was no full day that I lost. There was no table around yeah. where lots of different people that I was paying. Uh, there were no uh, extraneous processes that made no sense to me that people told me were important and that, with, that you couldn't do via DocuSign. Uh, when are we going to get to the point where people recognize that maybe they are extraneously charging us and the people who tell us, particularly notaries, that we have to use them know that they're fighting a losing battle? I think it's coming fast. Uh, I think we're making significant investments specifically to the notary piece. Um, and it's not just about the cost, but frankly, it's the convenience uh, I think there's a huge opportunity. We see our large financial service clients saying the ex- logical extension of DocuSign from a signature on a document is that notary process. And what it fundamentally comes down to is something you, know, you and I have talked about a lot in the past, which is identification, the identity of someone as an individual. And some of the requirements for certain transactions are higher than we might have for just a standard signature on an agreement. And that's the big investments we're making now so that leveraging the video capability we've built and that identity capability, we're going to be able to say you can do a notary online and not have to have a person come to your home for that last step. And that's that's what we want to be able to deliver this year. I am so glad you mentioned that because I've had to fight those people myself. Uh, but you are the, at the vanguard on this. Now, two other things that you're obviously being recognized. Department of Labor and SBA. Both of those, I would have thought, would be your enemy. They probably had a lot of, lot of people they wanted, a lot of mouths to feed. But they decided to use DocuSign. Yeah, we've actually really been excited about the, you, know, you talked earlier at the top of the show about this idea of the digital transformation happening so much faster. Government agencies is one of the groups that we've had tremendous demand uh, since the beginning of this year where they've realized it was so important, not just for the efficiency that they're running their own organization and in a work from home model, they actually didn't have a lot of options for ways to process some of these transactions, but from a, from their constituents, from the sort of the consumers that are receiving those benefits, it was unemployment benefits, from the businesses that are getting those SBA you know, administered loans. If it weren't for the financial institutions leveraging DocuSign, they would not be able to deliver them as quickly as they have. And we have large banks that have delivered you know, hundreds of thousands of these loans, and many of them are done in 24 hours, what used to take weeks. So we think that that, that benefit to the end consumers is something the government agencies are getting excited, and I just hope that will continue that uh, transformation going forward. 
uh, saw the same thing in one of my businesses, 24 hours, DocuSign. Do you think that there will be a rear guard action which just says, you know what, that was really just the pandemic and we got to go back to the way things were? Or do you think that there are enough people recognize that how great this is and how much it saves, how much time it saves, how much money it saves, and it's just game, set, match? Surprisingly, I don't think we're going back, Jim. I think, uh, I think uh, this, is, this is absolutely the future has just been pulled forward. We actually look at most of the transformation that's happened. And while there were certain use cases, and you just mentioned a couple of them, that were very specific to COVID-19, and those use cases got pulled forward, uh, particularly in the signature space, mostly what we've seen is companies that had a roadmap of plans they wanted to pull things into that digital world. They want to get away from paper. They want to get away from those manual processes that required so much of their people's time and had a bad end consumer experience. That got pulled forward. People are no, no one's going to go back and take the higher cost and the worst experience. We think that the, the, the new era has dawned uh, and, and this is what it's going to look like. The, the only thing that was pulled forward for me was that when, when uh, my assistant said, you bought it. I said, no, no, we, where's all, we couldn't have, we didn't have all the people around the table. We said, no, you own it. And it was like, oh my God, I just, I buyers remorse immediately rather than waiting 48 hours. Dan, you've done a remarkable job. Dan Springer, CEO of DocuSign, great company, great stock. Thank you for coming on, man, buddy. Thanks for having me. This is the kind of company that we're never, ever going back from. It's too easy. You gotta be in a transaction to realize how quickly it's done. Man, buddy's back after the break. It is time! It's time for the lightning round! Of course, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five, thirty-six, no, I think it can go a little lower. Uh, it had a very big explosive move off the bottom. I think it's going to te- uh, not test the bottom, but go down a little bit more than it is. Let's go to Calvin in South Carolina. Calvin. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Calvin. Hey, man. So, uh, Penn Gaming. I like Penn Gaming. I mean, it got downgraded today. Let's say it goes back to 28, 29. Just pull the trigger. I think it's a good one. I do like casino stocks. They're, they're packed. Let's go to Chris in Florida. Chris. Hey, Jim, the zeitgeist demands police oversight and accountability. Law enforcement reform bill for voting the House, federally in the state nationwide use of body cams. What's the play on Axon, formerly Taser? I've liked this stock since 25. I don't understand why it's only, I mean, it's up, it's up since the tragedy. It's up nicely, but you know what? It's, this is a, a solution for a blunt force. Uh, for uh, Everyone knows what happened. And I think Axon is a very good thing to be able to use to be able to change the way that we do with the police work in this country. Let's go to Jonathan, Pennsylvania. Jonathan. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Love the show. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm calling about General Mills, G-I-S. They had a terrific uh, so- quarter, and I know that we're not going to deal with the stay-at-home economy anymore, but we are still in a recession trying to get out of it. General Mills works here. Uh, by the way, the... Uh, uh, the pet food business is really on fire. Michael in New Jersey. Michael. Hi, Jim. Mike from New Jersey. I want to thank you for taking my call. Of course. You for investors like myself. I've been invested in a small biotech for a few years now. Uh, a few months ago, you had their CEO on, Dr. Garrow. 
Uh, they've just released some new data on their cancer antibody. I would like your opinion on a genist. Right now, that was uh, Garrow Arman, who I've known from the 80s. Now, this thing has not really done anything. Uh, it hasn't hurt anybody, but it hasn't helped anybody. I think that they're greener pastures in the biotech world. Let's go to Stephen in New York. Stephen. Hey, Jim. It's Stephen from New York. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Of I'm course. I'm a first-time caller. Of course. Uh, about 90 days ago, you mentioned a stock to me, G3. It was only two and seven-eighths at the time, and now it's up to 18 in that short amount of time. So now I'm curious on, you know, what the best bet is. Should I keep holding on to I it? I would keep holding on to it. I think it's one of the winners in a very, very tough category of apparel. They had a good quarter. Let's go to Michael in Florida. Michael. Jim, thank you for taking my call. You're quite welcome. Hey, uh, my stock is Zuora, Z-U-O. They reported a good quarter. I mean, what can I say? I mean, they need to put several good quarters together because they had a couple of really bad quarters. But I do think this one's making a comeback. Robert in Texas. Robert. Hello, Jim. Robert. Booyah. Booyah. Uh, I'm interested in, uh, in a, a cost averaging down uh, Seattle Genetics. All right, I'm going to be talking about this in my Thursday uh, ActionAlertsPlus.com conference call at 1130. Here's the problem. Seattle Genetics had a great presentation at Goldman. They had a great presentation at ASCO. But there are some sellers who continue to lurk here. And I think it's a buy. It is speculative, but I think it's a buy because we heard them on air. We heard what Clay Siegel said. I really think their canceled formulation is novel. I think Seattle Genetics is a buy. Let's go to Jack in New York. Jack. Professor, booyah. Well, thank I you. like your position on Tegna. No, I mean, it's media. And uh, there's almost no media that is worth recommending. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TG Ameritrade. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Make it so people recognize that the cow, as he always tells me, is one lousy way to get protein. You want to go green. You don't want to go green to cow to your stomach. You just want to go green to your stomach. The cow doesn't help. It just adds a lot of gristle. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. new investors who've been bidding up Hertz over the past week about to get a harsh lesson about who really owns a company. Hint. When that company is bankrupt, it's not the shareholders, it's the creditors, the bondholders who do the owning. So let me give you a lesson on the credit side of the business, because I don't want you throwing your money away on a whim or a newsletter or a pump and dump scheme on Twitter. First, let me set the scene. Hertz, the rental car company, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection late last month because it has $19 billion in debt and it could no longer afford to cover the interest. After getting hammered down to less than a dollar, the stock came roaring back. And even in the wake of today's nearly 25% decline, it's still up substantially from where it was trading before it went bankrupt. Now, Carl Icahn, the legendary activist investor, spent years trying to turn this thing around. He owned 38% of the company, but he couldn't do it. So Icon threw in the towel while there was still a towel to throw, selling 55 million shares at 72 cents a share after riding this thing down for six years. Believe me, if there was a real chance the common stock would be worth anything, Icon would have stuck around. He didn't. The reason? 
Simple. There's a pecking order in bankruptcy. When a company is heavily indebted, the creditors are typically entitled to everything, especially the equity, rendering the common stock that you might be trading worthless. Then they create a new common stock for the bondholders to try to make them whole. Icon sold Hertz at 72 cents because he knew how these things usually play out, and he didn't want to ride it to zero. Of course, the process of bankruptcy is messy. The bondholders often don't know where they stand. You'll have senior bondholders, junior bondholders. Sometimes they're senior mortgage bank bondholders. They all have a chance of getting a piece of the new post-bankruptcy hurts because it's highly unlikely that the business actually goes away. The enterprise is worth something. The problem is that the common stockholders are at the bottom of the bankruptcy pecking order, meaning there's almost zero chance they get a piece of the new company. If you own Hertz here at 4 bucks, you're buying the old Hertz with $19 billion in debt that it can't repay. Since the creditors can't collect, they're going to seize the collateral, which is the business. So this $4 stock will most likely just be canceled. Honestly, the fact that it hasn't been canceled yet is a travesty because it's only a matter of time. If I were running the bankruptcy court, I'd issue an edict saying the darn thing can't trade, which would keep inexperienced investors from losing money on it. Instead, this darn thing traded 530 million shares yesterday and 295 million today. The whole float is only 140 million. That's insane. And it's not just Hertz. We're seeing the same thing with Chesapeake Energy, the heavily indebted oil and gas producer. Chesapeake's headed for bankruptcy because it can't cover its interest payments. The bondholders will repossess the company, taking away the common stock from shareholders. The same way Hertz is being repossessed, the same way your house or your car would be repossessed. Again, it's ridiculous that this thing just trades. It's a hot potato. Someone's going to get stuck holding it. In my 40 years in this business, I can count on one hand the stories where where a company went bankrupt and the common stock was still worth something you want to buy. But the bonds, they can be great investments if the reorganized business ends up with no debt. Granted, that's not always the case. The whole process can go very wrong. There's a great story about this in Confessions of a Street Addict, my autobiography. Way back in the day, a company called Memorex Telex reorganized with new bonds and new common stock. We bought the common stock pretty much every day, betting the business would turn around, but it didn't. It filed for bankruptcy. And again, we lost the whole investment. Taught me a valuable lesson. It doesn't matter how little you pay for a stock. When it goes to zero, you lose everything. At least it stopped at zero. You don't want to put yourself in that position. You may think a stock like Hertz or Chesapeake looks like a steal at these levels, but the only people being robbed here are you, the buyers. It's kind of a perverse, reverse Robin Hood. Keep that in mind before you buy. Stick with Kramer. And here's a sneak peek into what Scott Wapner has for tonight's show. Tonight at 7, did the Lone Star State open too early? They're dealing with a big spike in virus cases. See what one doctor is seeing on the front lines. Plus, new problems for America's food supply. And a businesswoman who found gold in the middle of the crisis. It's all tonight at 7 p.m. my favorite stocks, Wendy's, reported some very good numbers this morning, including for breakfast. The stock was at 6 in March. Now it's all the way back to almost 24. I still think it's a buy. It is the best at what it does, and I think when the stores open, it will do even better. This has just been the drive-through and the pickup, and they're crushing it. Like I say, there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow. 